Okay, welcome back, Ben. How's it going? It's going. Yeah, <laughs> we're still muddling through. Um, our response to the pandemic has been to keep playing this game uh, and talk about it at irregular intervals. So mm. we're doing that, and uh, at least one more time because there's still a very long series of boss battles to uh, to get through before the very end here. But we at least made it through the last of the side quests or just about the last of the side quests for, for today. So um, how, how do you think about the, uh, the ancient castle and, and where it fits into everything here? It's, it's very strange. Um, like as we've noticed, most of the side quests tend to be oriented around one of the particular characters or to have some sort of like tangential relevance to the story. Yeah. Um, but the ancient castle is very self-contained. Um, like you, you obviously, you know, you, you stumble across it as you're moving the, the castle of Edgar and Sabin um, from one place to another. Uh, and you just wander around in the caves for a while and stumble across this weirdly subterranean castle. But as you approach it and as you explore it, you sort of uncover this, this epic tale of a castle under siege during the war of the Magi and an Odin who is willing to defend the citizens of the castle from these marauding espers, it seems, um, but at the cost of his own life. Um, only, you know, there's a torrid love affair going on between Odin and <laughs> the princess of the castle um, who like entrusts her safety to him. Um, and then you find out that like he was protecting them and they were hidden away in the basement when you explore the castle and you find this secret passage and, and like she's still down there but having been petrified like yes. her, her last gasp at saving herself and, and the people down there were to turn them to stone um, and it's just it, it's like it's a heck of a story it, which you see through these sorts of glimpses and environmental examination um, but it's very much removed from everything that's gone before. Like this is, I mean, the war of the Magi was a hundred years ago by this, by the, uh, games telling. So this is, this is a hundred year old story that you just find buried in stone. Um, and it, it brings a lot of depth. Like it makes the war of the Magi, this thing that you've been hearing about this whole time, but has always been very far removed, much more immediate. Um, much more like unavoidable but it's still you know 100 years old come on i think it's a thousand uh yeah in the in the story they tell um like whoever you have in your party i guess it probably um depends who's leading the party maybe will tell the story um and you get this through like these visions and flashbacks um yeah, a thousand years in the past, a battle was waged here, which is, yeah, uh, kind of odd. Because, um, I, yeah, I thought that the more recent, the more recent War of the Magi was not that long ago. Um, right. So this seems like a previous iteration of this kind of struggle. Um, and if I, I don't know if this is like supposed to be the way it is, but that that sorcerer who shows up to attack uh, the castle and, and defeats Odin looks mm. like the sprite that's used for the um, 
the magic master uh, boss at the top of the the tower of Kefka's cult. Yes. Um, right when he like comes up the stairs real slow and and swirls around you and around you and then attacks. Um, but then again, it also looks like all the ghosts, you know, throughout the game. So. Yeah, the ghosts in the Phantom Train, the tutorial ghost at the entrance to Zozo, like it's the yeah. same sprite. But but I think it is an interesting connection there, like um, especially because that magic tower is also super cryptic and strange and kind of out of place yeah. and doesn't explain itself virtually at all, except you know, cult tower. What more do you need to know? Um, but the idea that there could be a clear connection that maybe the magic master you defeat at the top of the tower is the same yeah. who defeated Odin. I think that's an interesting direction to just sort of investigate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hope it is. I mean, yeah. again, there's really no, I don't know, no particular evidence for that other than clearly a very strong magic user. Mm-hmm. Um, and Odin, you know, is sort of on our side. So I guess the other one is probably not. Like, I don't know. Um, the uh, the this lo- the love story, though, the torrid love story, as you put it, uh, <laughs> is pretty great, too, because that's like, um, you know, that's where Tara comes from, too, right? A, uh, yep. a love between a human and um, the, uh, Esper. the Esper. Well, yeah. And I, I don't know. It looks like this was a kind of tragic version of that. Um, Mm-hmm. she's turned to stone there in the bottom of the tower. Uh, but um, the, I think that the question about like what happens when humans and espers interact is uh, played out kind of interestingly there. Um, and if you bring the, did you bring the Odin Magicite down to the yes. statues? And I, I was sneaky, and I did, in fact, run around the castle long enough to get Strago to learn Meteor first. Sweet. Um, but eventually, yeah, I brought Odin down to meet the, the petrified princess um, and witness his transformation into Gilgamesh. Right, yeah. It's called Raiden or Raiden in, in the remake, or the version yep. I have, that is. Um, yeah. Which I think keeps the old translation, so I'm not sure. Yes. But... The other thing about Odin, right, um, he, uh, he's the only Esper that gives you a speed bonus on leveling up. Um, yeah, so that, that, kind that of was a hard thing to pass up. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a bummer. But on the other hand, the, the Raiden or Gilgamesh that you get as a result is the one that teaches you quick, which is yep. super, super cool. Um, yes. Just like doubles your time. So it's like, yeah, um, when, you, when you think about the kind of combinations that come into play when you can double up a, a character's turn. Uh, it's pretty, pretty rocking. Um, yes. And this is also the castle where you get, you know, arguably the strongest relic in the game that offering, or maybe has a different thing. It does, it does four attacks. Is yes. that called the master scroll in your game or something? I, I think it's still offering. Um, yeah. Gilgamesh was my mistake. That was, me thinking of a different situation that was odin and odin's transformation in final fantasy 8 <laughs> oh okay we're familiar with um, and i do want to draw that connection though because you know esper's transforming are a fairly rare phenomenon and it can't be a coincidence that you have odin you know in final fantasy 6 and odin in final fantasy 8 both undergoing a transformation yeah. Um, which, you know, eliminates the former form in the process. 
Yeah. Uh, like you have to give up Odin if you want Raiden in six or Gilgamesh in eight. Not that you have a choice in eight, but. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not as familiar with Final Fantasy VIII. I don't know if I got that far or just yeah. locked it out from my memory. Um, <laughs> all, all I, I, am one, I am one of the last apologists for Final Fantasy VIII, and I, yeah. I do it only half heartedly. I know the game is tough. Um, it is not polished. Well, um, I like. I mean, I like the idea of you know the the magical being within the game transforming because I. I mean, I think that's kind of what Final Fantasy does with each iteration, right? It like mm-hmm. takes this thing, um, makes it into something new. Uh, but in this case, right, we still have the old games that we can go back and play. The old, better games, yes. I should say, uh, because <laughs> yeah, you know, that's the fun of it, right? So. So yeah, so you get this um, this thing that lets you attack four times, which is ridiculous. Because uh, yes. you know, if you're wearing a Genji glove, then you're attacking twice, times. four times. Right? Yep. <laughs> um, and uh, you have some pretty rad weapons at this point, probably to um, play around with that. Um, so that's that's sweet. Uh, you also get some f- uh, what is it? The doom darts, like an a, a, a instant kill weapon for um, our man Setzer, right? The the gambler, right? So he's got the cards, the dice, now the darts to chuck at people. Um, so this is like a really, there's a lot of really good stuff down here. Um, it's a relatively small dungeon, I think, but with pretty powerful enemies to, yes. to contend with. Um, yeah, some of the fights are, are not that terrifying, like the little box guys, but... Um... Yeah, over. I, I suspect that this is like a higher level difficulty dungeon. Uh, yeah. Maybe not as as nasty as some of the others we've run into, but but scarier than most of the side quests. It's one of the last ones that I found, and I mean, like you said, you get to this place by, you know, riding in the castle. Which why would you do that once you have the airship, right? So it's right. kind of like weird uh it's it's well hidden i guess i'd say and there is a hint um someone in the bottom so the bottom of that that mage's tower again uh will tell you a hint for 10 no a hundred thousand gold and yeah if you do that he'll tell you that you know if you go down beneath the desert you'll find an ancient castle um and he mentions the thing about the um, the Ragnarok, actually, as well, that yes. back in Narsh, you can get this other suite. Um, uh, I think that's the one that teaches you Ultima, actually, right? Uh, no, or wait, is it? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's actually a really weird sort of decision, because this is another thing that I got in this particular little run. Mm-hmm. But if you if you bring Locke to Narsh, you know, unlock all the doors, and you find this random old dude in a bedroom somewhere who's like, "Hey, I've got this this magicite, and I could either just give it to you, or I could forge it into this really awesome sword." Right. Um, so you you end up with the choice: Do you want Ragnarok the Esper, which does teach you Ultima, and also like when you summon it, it will turn your enemies into weapons, which has some fairly ludicrous potential, though I've not explored it uh-huh. terribly deeply. Or you can get this just really awesome sword. Um, and it's kind of like, you'd be crazy not to get the the 
weapon transforming ultima teaching esper right yeah i um, think so yeah uh but i guess it's a powerful sword i mean <laughs> well there's a weird thing about this game where you can sometimes learn spells from uh some some armor and weapons too mm-hmm. um supposedly um although i don't know how that's supposed to work um like if you have certain shields equipped they'll teach you like the fire shield will teach you fire too or something like mm-hmm. that um or that's what i've heard i don't know that i've yeah, ever experienced that I've, I've had a number of characters learn spells unexpectedly mm-hmm. um and I wasn't sure whether that was sort of like a once Sellers reaches this level, she automatically learns this spell, or if it was related to one of the weapons or the armor that she was carrying. Um, I know I was passing around the ice shield for the longest time, and all of my characters started spontaneously learning ice too. There you go. Uh, so that makes perfect sense as far as the explanation. Um, and I also know that both Sellers and Realm picked up warp. Um, hmm weirdly like unexpectedly and i think that, that might have been related to the force armor or the the aegis shield or one of the uh, other things i was using a lot um so i suspect it's like you have to have the right item on a character when they level up yeah with maybe some other restrictions thrown in like it would be weird if cyan learned warp um outside of making him do it deliberately so i don't know there's some weird, I mean, like you said, there's some kind of arcane stuff when you start to get into the the late game. Like, if you're trying to get your party maxed out in, in various ways, um, there's probably a lot of weird stuff in these games, yes. actually. <laughs> um, yes. Certainly more than I've, you know, um, really delved into. Because, you know, I, at a certain point, just kind of plow ahead with yeah. um, most powerful espers, magic spells, and yep. uh, just have like strong magic defense and put people in the back row and just like yep that's I've, that's I've, good but sellers has frequently been packing 100 percent magic block and it's just like okay so there's nothing <laughs> you can throw at me at this point i will double cast ultima on you and nothing is going to stand up to it <laughs> yeah and you can um, always just like steal magic from enemies so it's it's really not mm-hmm. a big deal if you know you're using a 100 mp spell every turn like it's fine but but yeah, but it is, I mean, getting up to the top of that mage tower is really hard, yeah. I think, without the Mughal charm. Like, I could not yes. do that. <laughs> and I could, I, yeah, yeah. I beat my head against it three or four times, um, especially some of those those really late game ones, like the, the magic level 90s. Ridiculous. Air yeah. and Meteor, or magic level 60 with Quake and Tornado. Um, like I, I got this, I figured out, you know, what are their weaknesses? Like you use fire against magic level 60 and you can almost always take them out in one shot. Um, but the great advantage of the tower is for training because you don't get experience, but you do get magic points. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is very convenient if you want your characters to learn spells and not waste their levels on, you know, espers that aren't teaching them the right stats yeah um so you know i on this process this was when sellers learned like three and realm learned all the tritox spells fire ice and then and, and bolt three um 
if I'm going to teach anyone Ultima, it'll be by going back there and grinding for a while. Yeah. Um, just because you get a ton of magic points, like it's a lot from even the lower level fights. Um, and you don't have to worry about, you know, oh, I don't have magic power plus three on this person for when they level up. So I wouldn't want, you know, to actually level up at this point. Exactly. Um, yeah. But even more than that, like, so like, let's say that you do successfully beat your way past all of these vicious mass spell casters with all their crazy powerful stuff and their you know hidden weaknesses and their random reflect ability so, so you're mean. casting spells on people and all of a sudden you know it's bouncing right back at you <laughs> and then you get to the very top and you know sure you fight the guy and there are a couple of clever ways to get around magic master but then he he always always hits you with ultimate <laughs> it's so mean yeah i yeah I thought I could get around that by jumping the first time I fought him. Okay. Um, but realized that my jump attacks were super duper weak uh, against him. Like I did like no damage. So I thought he was pretty close to dying, but he survived all my jumps and I could only jump by using that Esper that makes everyone jump. Um, yes. So I couldn't do it again. Right. I had a one, I had one chance yep. and yeah. So then I had to learn life three and that that's the other way to, to, to actually win that fight. Right. Like, yeah. At least one of your characters has to have life three cast on them. Uh, and then you can let him kill himself basically by just wearing reflect rings. Um, yep. That's I think the, by far the easiest strategy for that fight. Um, the other fun strategy that I stumbled across is I cast berserk on him. <laughs> and if <laughs> you work? do, he, yeah, it works. And not only that, he can't cast his defense spell anymore. Ah. So once he's berserked, he A, is starting to hit you with physical damage, which, you know, is not really a huge threat because he's a spellcaster. But also, once you hit him with berserk, whatever his weakness is at that moment, that's what it's going to stay. So you just nail him with it over and over and hope that it's not something, you know, really weird like earth or holy. Yeah. Um, as it happened, I got him stuck on ice and I was like, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. Nice. Um, so, you know, at that point, it was just a breeze. Like as, as annoying as it is to try and sort of like guess what he has. Oh my gosh, that would be maddening. Yeah, um, but but yeah, you you got to go in super prepared, and and more than that, just you know, if you're not looking at a strategy guide, it's so much pointless trial and error. Because yeah. um, you know you can fight your way up the entire tower and like you know dying a couple times along the way, and it's like round five. Let's try this again. You make it all the way to the top. You beat this guy. You're like, yes, I finally did it, and then ultimate sorry if you didn't have life three equipped you're done it's um, it's terrible it's, it's terrible. just viciously unforgiving well, um, the only other enemy i've run into that even uses ultima is those brontosauruses or whatever in yes. the the dragon forest right or the dinosaur forest um which are harder than like any boss in the game like my oh, gosh yeah. uh, and i don't understand um yeah how how you could uh ever i don't know i don't know how people did this before the, the age of strategy guides in the internet like i yeah. bow down to those old school gamers who um who just figured things out and like you know talk to their friends at lunchtime or whatever <laughs> yep, yep. swap stories about what they were up to 
Um, but I think that was also part of the culture at that point. Like, right. like you think back to to you know the original Mario games, um, which were littered with that sort of you know hidden secrets and Easter eggs. You know, you had to know where the secret mushrooms were, or the secret stock. <laughs> right. um, and I think that was kind of the thinking that you know. First of all, like it's advantageous to the developer because it makes the game artificially longer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got only limited resources. You can only build eight levels, eight worlds. Um, so you just make them ludicrously difficult and then people end up beating their head against them for 40 plus hours and they feel like they, they got their money's worth. Oh, absolutely, yeah. um, but on the flip side, you know, they are talking about it. Like you would go over to a friend's house and they would show you where the secret warp pipe was. And you'd be like, oh my gosh, this is going to make my life so much easier. <laughs> um, or, you know, you'd talk about Final Fantasy with your friends and they'd, they'd tell you, you know, I used Berserk on the, on the Magic Master. Or, you know, there's this secret castle hidden under, uh, under the desert. Or, you know, by putting these Easter eggs in the game, they sort of enable the multiplayer before the technology could allow for that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um you know, besides sitting at your console next to a friend, which was only available on certain games and definitely didn't make sense for an RPG like Final Fantasy VI, which, you know, there's so much time and so much investment, um, this was a way of turning it into a social, a communal thing. Um, and it was, you know, this is about the same time as, like, Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue came out and, yeah. and really drove that home. You know, if you, if you had only one game you had to find a friend who had the other one if you wanted to get your fancy Pokemon. Um, <laughs> and I think that they're kind of ingenious about that. Like, for Pokemon especially, the, their guiding principle since day one has been bringing people together. Um, like, that's, that was the design ethos at all points for the Pokemon company. Yeah. Um, and you can see, you know... Final Fantasy is doing the same thing in a lot of ways by hiding all these really awesome items all over the world or by, you know, just the sheer craziness of some of the, the feats that can be accomplished, like getting all of Gao's um, sort of mm -hmm. rage transformations or like finding all the blue magic skills for Strago or, you know, giving you an Esper that turns literally every enemy into the game into an item 99% of which will most likely be useless, but <laughs> so help me if you get the 1% that are amazing, it's a whole nother game. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's very much throwing open the doors with relatively little effort. Like it, it wasn't creating a whole new environment. It wasn't, you know, using the, the limited amount of resources to, to render new sprites or to, to present whole new music tracks, which took up so much space on those old cartridges. Um, instead, it's just basically a giant spreadsheet, which is relatively easy to, to <laughs> keep on those things. So, you know, it's a really ingenious way of, of letting it be social for a thing that we so frequently and so typically think of as being very isolating. Well, and I mean, there's these weird kind of, again, like these arcane secrets in the game where um, somebody who does put all the time into it or, you know, gets really into it can, can derive, you know, great satisfaction from uncovering. 
But you really, I mean, you could make this second part of the game quite brief, theoretically, if you didn't try to track everything down and everyone down. Um, you know, you could just level up and grind and you could beat the game that way. Um, th there's just a lot of different options in a game like this. Um, so I think, you know, part of it too is is developing this kind of um, like special language really for, for Final Fantasy games in particular, where um, they have like the Odin, right, character who you'll right. find back in um, Final Fantasy 2 or four, whichever you call it, right? He's in there, right. and the trick to beating him is that you you have to you know defeat him before he can use his his attack on you that that cuts you in half uh, in one hit, mm -hmm. right? Um, and you know the imp, all the imp equipment. Did you run into any of that stuff? Yes. Okay. Yes. So apparently that's like a way to pretty much break the game. Like if you figure out how to use the imp armor and weapons and stuff, apparently that's really helpful. I don't know, like. Yeah, I had I had Strago and Realm packing the Moogle and Behemoth armor respectively, um, which are crazy and like ludicrously overpowered and also hilarious because then Strago actually turned into a Moogle, <laughs> so like his sprite was yeah. identical to Mog's and it was just funny to watch two Moogles attacking people. Um, but yeah, like a lot of the a lot of the stat boosts and stuff are also really easy to break um, given the right stuff to the right character in the right situation. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess the, um, the conclusion of this game that we're, we're, we're drawn to, right. Is that it's this, um, this mechanism for uh, developing not only like, friends and relationships and stuff within the story of the game, but also, mm -hmm. of course, by, you know, going and talking about it for who knows how many hours with your friend, <laughs> you, yep. you actually do that in, in real life too. Um, do you think there's other lessons that you sort of like take away from this game? Um, I don't know if there's stuff like, you know, the power of, of magic or something. Right. Uh, technology, of course, is kind of this close analog or maybe the kind of inverse of magic in this game that we're supposed to be thinking about here but like as you're coming to the end of the game what what are you left with after spending you know 40 hours playing this old video game yeah one of the most obvious i think is and this is sort of typical to to like most japanese games across the board is there's an emphasis on on discipline mm. um you know, like the the whole leveling up structure is very much inherited from Dungeons and Dragons itself. Very much a Western thing, um, but where Dungeons and Dragons, interpreted by Western RPGs, typically means focusing on like individual skills. I'm going to get better at lock picking, or I'm going to get better at you know fighting with a two-handed sword. In Japanese games, it's more about self-perfection. You know, you become the next highest level. Um, and it even comes across in some of the some of the more unexpected genres. Like, if you ever there's a great little third person shooter by the Japanese developer Platinum Games called Vanquish. Um, and you know, like shooters are such a such a Western thing. Like, we're we're the guys who came up with Doom, and we love our guns, and you know, we just want to blow people away. 
Um, but Vanquish is all about skill. Like it's all about maneuvering across the battlefield using the right weapon in the right situation. Um, it's very much downplaying the power fantasy of I have a big gun and nothing can stand in my way. Um, <laughs> And I think Final Fantasy VI very much is sort of invested with that mindset. Um, like so many of the characters we've seen, they have to work really hard to get good at what they do. Um, like the most obvious candidates are Cyan and, and uh, Sabin, who, you know, you got to travel all over the world and level them up really high in order to get their best moves. Um, but, you know, if you want to learn magic spells, you have to grind. If you want to, you know, level up really high, you have to grind. If you want the best items, you have to beat really scary monsters. Um, it's about self-perfection, about sort of making oneself more powerful in that sense. Um, and again, it's, it's in that team format, like without your fellow team members also perfecting themselves, you have no chance. Um, but especially when, when contrasted with Kefka, who steals his power, um, who, you know, every step of the way is just like killing Aspers and taking their abilities from them, who, you know, moves the goddesses out of alignment and therefore just like kidnaps all of the, the, the very fabric of reality. Um, it's very, it's very clear that at the end of this whole, you know, adventure after you've gone searching for your friends, that, you know, you are the best version of yourself when you go to fight Kafka. And if there's a solution to you not being able to beat him, it's working harder. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting kind of counterpart, right? There's, there's two things, the self-perfection idea and then the, you know, the the Voltron, like with our powers combined right. kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Those work together in a kind of interesting way. Um, and I do like that you brought out that it does kind of go back to a, a Western thing, this idea of the, the fantasy board game concept uh, that, that gets popular world worldwide. And you put that together with Japanese sort of aesthetic, but also this kind of ethic um, of, of discipline or whatever, this kind of uh, mindset of, perfecting oneself you get this thing that's you know super duper interesting and um i haven't played a lot of the new final fantasies but i i hope that they are um carrying some of this stuff forward i am just glad that you know unlike odin you, you can go back and play the old final fantasies after they've transformed into their new forms um, yeah as clunky as they may be when you are climbing up that giant tower and getting hit with an ultima <laughs> yeah um, and I died so many times against Kefka also. Um, yeah. Throw that out there. Uh, I feel like you have to get a little lucky too. Um, there's, there's an element of this, the, the random number generator coming up. Uh, yep. Good for you. <laughs> Sometimes he just hits you with that leveling spell and you just, it's the wrong time. Like you were right in the middle of casting the thing that you needed to cast, do a bunch of damage, yeah. you overextended yourself and now it's over. Like, <laughs> Yeah, so, um, so we'll leave it there for now. And so for next time, we're going to be trying to make it all the way through Kefka's junkyard and yep. his um, menagerie of final boss forms. Uh, and we'll hopefully get to see some cool credits um, and, and yeah, move on, on to the next game. Uh, so we'll reveal what that's going to be next time. <laughs>
Very exciting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Ben. Uh, hopefully talk to you soon. Take yep. Care. You too.